Amen. Man, ain't that good? Give the band a hand to glorify the Lord, of course. Man, these guys are these guys are good. I'm excited to have them lead us to the throne room of grace. And then it prepares uh, the table for me to preach and teach the word of God because your hearts are ready, and I believe that. This morning, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 12. We're going to be looking at the letter to the church of Pergamum. And uh, I've entitled this, In the Shadow of Evil, uh, this morning. Don't, don't always title my messages. Sometimes I'll just get up and preach. But I thought it was very, um, very fitting this morning uh, to preach a, a message entitled, In the Shadow of Evil, because it's weird, you know, I always kind of thrown off the idea, so to speak, of, you know, it getting so much worse. Because in, in many respects, all the cultures up to this time have experienced these same things. Um, they've experienced idolatry, they've experienced sexual morality, fornication, the twisting of nature, um, greed, pride, arrogance, all these things. But I, I do believe that we go through these cycles, and I do believe that we're getting closer to the end, obviously. Whether you believe it's around the corner or whether you believe it's you know years down the road, that's really of no consequence. We're getting closer, you know, either way. Um, but I do believe that in any given culture, no matter what time period, that that culture itself goes through an expansion of sinfulness and a growing in sinfulness and rebellion uh, and, and eventually gets to a place where it is judged or it crumbles underneath the judgment of God and his, his pronouncement of judgment on that culture where he shuts it down and, and he, uh, he does his thing. Now, we've seen that happen time and time again, time and time again throughout history. We see um, powerhouses rise and fall, and we've seen uh, God's people uh, stay steady through all of that and it seems to look the same many times that that God's people now let me put this here for this we're talking about those who claim to be Christians will uh, start to grow in number with Christianity being really acceptable within that culture and you'll see this expansion as, but as the culture starts to become anti-biblical more and more, and it becomes, it starts to become more rebellious and more um, uh, anti uh, the Word of God and more contradictory to the Word of God, you'll start to see a dividing line emerge between those who have a profession of faith and those who have a true transformation of heart. Because those who just have a profession, they'll do things that those who have a truly transformed heart cannot do. And it's not that they're better, it's that they are different. They have a differing source. Like Jesus said, uh, that, that, that my kingdom is not of this world, that is a genitive of source, meaning that his power, his being, his identity does not originate from within the confines of this world. So therefore, he must be distinct from this world and altogether different. Likewise, those who have received the, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells within them, though they, uh, though they have shortcomings, they are of another source. They have another source of identity and power and strength and, 
and, and morality and conscience and all these things that, that hinder them from going to certain levels of sinfulness. And when they do uh, fall into that sinfulness, you can tell it is not of their nature. And therefore, they're always convicted and they always repent. Therefore, the doctrine we spoke of last week, which is perseverance of the saints. I acknowledge that people of the faith who are truly born again can fall. But I also understand the scriptures to teach that, that they are falling into something that they have been relieved of. And that is not who they are. But they are going backwards and they are putting a yoke of slavery on themselves again. They've been relieved. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you should no longer identify yourself as a sinner. You've been released from sin. You, have, you are not, as Roman 8 says, under the obligation to the flesh, but you have been relieved of that, and you have received a new spirit, and you are now no longer a sinner in identity-wise, but you are a saint. You've been washed in the blood. Now, that's not to say that we have no sin. First John says that he who says he has no sin is a liar. But it is to say that we should not identify with our sin because this world is not our source. The sin that we have is alien to us, and you need to stop it because that's not who you are. You are not a sinner. You are not an for the believers. Now, understand that there are two different people in this room today with this many people. There are some in here who are truly born again by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ, and there are some of you who are just professing. But for the believer in the room, you are not an alcoholic. Alcoholic might be in your members, but it's being carved out as you're being sanctified by the word of God. You are a believer. You are a child of the one true king. And this is alien to you and needs to be relieved from you. Now, why do I start out this sermon in this way? I start out this sermon in this way because the church today, we've, we've seen through Ephesus and through Smyrna now, we've seen that churches have, have dealt with issues of compromising. We've seen that churches have been, have been tempted to compromise uh, as a secondary uh, highlight to these letters. But now we're going to be focused on this area and this sin of compromise and becoming worldly. And that worldliness being something that would evidence the fact that they are not true believers and that they will experience judgment in the end. Now, you know, some of you who have been here for the past few weeks, it seems like this is hellfire and brimstone, right? But i got to show you the dividing line so that you will be able to properly judge and, and, and examine yourself to see which line of the dividing line you are on. Are you a believer, one who has truly been conformed to the image of the Son? Are you one who has really experienced transformation and rebirth? Do you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you that it would allow you to overcome the temptation to conform to the image of the world? Are you becoming more like Christ or are you compromising and becoming more and more like the world? This is a very, very important question. In this letter, he is going to say to them, we're going to read it in just a second, he is going to say to them, and I want to do this for just a little introductory and a little bit of uh, context, that we can understand that we are in this place. 
this letter could be written to the well church in Landrum and every other church in Landrum as well. We are in the shadow of evil. He is going to tell them that I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. He is going to say at the end of the letter, in contrast, that you are where Satan dwells. So we are in the presence of evil. We are in the shadow of the throne of Satan. And I believe it's cast from Asheville, North Carolina. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> so let's, let's get into the word and, and we'll see what I'm talking about here. Uh, let's, let's stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 12, it reads this way. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Remember, that's the introductory description and attribute of Christ that comes from the vision in chapter 1 that's going to be absolutely important here. Remember that. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat the food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent, if not... I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some, some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. Now, some of the things in this letter parallel some of the things in the other letters. For the sake of time, I'll touch on those rather quickly, uh, and we may make it through the letter today. We'll see what happens. There's a few things that I want to kind of highlight for you and some new ideas that emerge here uh, as to who Christ is and what that means to the church. And uh, I, I would love today to get to uh, the end of this letter where it talks about a new name because that's going to be essential to us understanding exactly what he is, taught, he is warning and desiring for this church and for all the churches for that matter. But let's start here in verse 12. It says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, we see this to be the description of Jesus Christ in chapter 1 and the vision of Christ. And also, this same description is used a few other times in Revelation 1, namely of my favorite passages in Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus Christ comes uh, on the clouds, he comes with a two-edged sword in his mouth and uh, several other attributes, fire in his eyes, the, the, the train of his robe is dipped in the blood of his enemy. It's, it's an amazing passage. And it kind of does away with the idea of weak, little, feeble, uh, Nazarene Jesus who was a weak Galilean peasant. He did come in, in servitude. He came in, in humble meekness. He came like no one thought that he would come. He came as an empty vessel that he had emptied himself of all the attributes of God. Though he existed in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, become, taking on the form of a servant. Now, 
We know that Jesus Christ came in humility. And, and because of that, many have equated Jesus Christ coming in humility with Jesus Christ in general overall. And that he would always be this weak little man that, that just loves everybody. You know, I, I've, I've described it and I robbed this from somebody else. It's kind of like a, a limp-wristed hippie who just wants to give everybody a hug, you know. But Jesus Christ, though he is absolutely loving, he is also absolutely just. And he will let no wrong go unpunished. All injustice will be served and it will be made right one day. And so we see Jesus Christ coming back in power and authority, riding a white horse. And only kings rode the white horses out front because everybody knew who was coming. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He alone has the ability and the right to judge between the just and the unjust. We see him here with a two-edged sword in his mouth, meaning that it is him who will judge. Now, the question then becomes, who is he going to judge? I believe that in this, in this letter to the church, I believe that it is apparent that, that Christ judges everybody. We know that. He, he judges those who are believers and those who are not. But I believe that this is pointed at the churchgoers. The people who went to the church. Now, I don't want to say that this is pointed to the believers because the judgment is to distinguish between the believers and the professors. Amen? Not the, not the college teachers, but the false professors who would take the name of Christ, but only for personal gain or for, for other reasons other than having a true transformation of heart. It says here, it says, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, that description and that attribute is going to address the issues that are found in the church. What are those issues? Verse 13, I know where you dwell. Now, that word right there, dwell, is this, I know where you live. I know where you stay. I know where you, I know where you live. You see, it's not just, yeah, you, you live at this address, but this is where you do life. He says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now, this this idea of Satan's throne being there, we have all of this figurative language in, uh, gen, in uh, Revelation. And so it's not as if there's a literal throne that is sitting there and Satan is sitting up on it and he's laughing because he's in charge. But this is that they are in a central hub. Where is the throne in Revelation? The throne room of grace. The thro the throne. Where's Christ's throne in Revelation? Where's God's throne? It's in the center. This is leading us and showing us that, that they are in a place where the work of Satan is centrally located. Now, some of the history that, uh, that, that surrounds Pergamum is just this. As a matter of fact, I just wrote down a few things here. That actually Pergamum was the first city in Asia Minor to build a temple to a Roman ruler, which was Caesar Augustus. They built a temple to him, the first city to ever do that. This, was, this may have been what they were talking about when they said the throne of Satan. Otherwise, there was a huge altar there that resembled a, a throne. And guess who it was to? Zeus, 
whom many held to be the king of the gods or the greatest of the Greek gods. And so this may well have been what he was talking about. Either way, the bottom line is, is that this was a central location for idolatry and the worship of false gods. As a matter of fact, the city, the secular city in the writings and in the history often and proudly seemingly refer to themselves as the temple warden. The one who oversees temple worship of false gods. So here you see it really would be like uh, living in Asheville. I have a, and, and you, I'm not, that's not even a joke. Asheville is actually rated by secular media to be one of the most diver, diverse uh, cities in all of America. Meaning that they have the, the most distinguished worship of deities in all of the country. And I've been to Asheville, <laughs> and amen. <laughs> I actually have a good friend of mine, Stephen Birch, who has poured into me so much, great friend of mine. He's been planning in Asheville now. I don't want to get it wrong, and I'm terrible with numbers, obviously. Um, but I know at least seven years. I think a little bit longer than that, but I'm pretty sure it's at least seven years. And in that time, there's countless planters come and gone. Churches go to Asheville to die. And I'm talking about churches who otherwise, in other places, have congregations of thousands. And you would think if any church can make it, it'd be that one. No. I went up to visit um, Birch one day, and we went into the local market, and there's a bulletin board right there that you can post events on and all these different types of, of uh, things that, that, that you can go to. And in that one little thing, there was like a witches' conference a Buddha, a, a Buddhist worship session, uh, all these different, and I just got this, this feeling of grunge, and it was just, and, and, and Stephen looked at me as we're standing there looking at that board, he says, you feel that? And literally, I could feel it, and he says, I deal with that all the time. Sometimes, and I'm getting a little personal with you now, but sometimes I get a little, I get a little antsy when the, when the giving here at the well is not quite where it should be because we want to make sure the lights now we've never struggled in that the Lord's always been faithful and I praise the Lord for you but anytime I get to thinking that I wish the altar the offering was a little more I just call Stephen time after time after time after time he gets the offering plate back and there's two dollars or zero dollars he lives the most humble existence of about anybody I, I know. We, we help support Stephen, and uh, I'm telling you, pray for Stephen Birch because he is dwelling where Satan's throne is. But I want to say that because you're in the shadow of this too, and it may be a little bit different here where we are, and it's, it, it really will confuse you because everybody out in our city says, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, then why do we have so many meth heads running around? We have the worst, and then we're just talking practical here. Praise God that we're starting to celebrate recovery. And I, we, me and uh, Steve had lunch Thursday, and I wanted to make sure that we were clearly on the same page here because I know that many 12-step programs like AA and NA, I understand the, the, I understand the place of those to, to recognize sin in the body. But I want to sit here, and I've already talked to Steve about this. I want to sit here and I want to make a, a stark contrast between what we are doing in CR and what those programs do. If you love those, I'm not, I'm not here to bash you, okay? 
But there is a clear distinction between AA and NA and those types of programs and Celebrate Recovery. And this is it. And we will highlight it here at the well. Is that we do not think that alcoholism or anything else is a disease that cannot be cured. We do not believe that. Do you get it? We do not believe that. But we believe that all these are a symptom of a greater problem, which is a diseased heart, which can and will, by the Lord Jesus Christ, be taken out and replaced with a heart of flesh. And that we can be set free. Amen. Which is exactly why I ask if everybody I talk to says, oh, yes, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they are steeped in sin up to their neck and they could care less about getting out of it. Makes me go, wow, we have our work cut out for us. I've also asked the question, is it harder? Is it harder to minister in a place like Asheville where they're absolutely starkly contradictory to you? And you can absolutely draw a dividing line and say, well, this is where you are. This is where I am. Now, we got to figure this out. Or is it harder to minister here? Or you're talking to somebody and you say, you need salvation. Oh, I'm saved. I said a prayer 50 years ago. But you, but you still love sin and darkness. Oh, yeah, but I'm good. But you have no fruit. Yeah, but I said that prayer. Yeah, but you don't love Jesus at all. But he's still got to forgive me. I said the prayer. Uh, wh wait a minute. You mean the sinner's prayer is really like an arm lock and you've got God bent over saying, you're going to forgive me. You're going to forgive me. Fire insurance, fire escape. Which is harder? Convincing a man that believes he is saved when he really is not? Or showing someone the truth that is in opposition to you? I just lay that out there. We see this here. We see this here. That's what the sword does. He goes, no, you're not. Bam! <laughs> yes, you are. Let me cut this off. No, you're not. Yes, you are. No, you're not. Yes, you are. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You hold fast my name. Here is the dividing line. Here is part of the description of the dividing line. It says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. This is the compliment. This is the acknowledgement of some good things that they've done. He'll hit them in a second. But he says, yet you hold fast to my name. This is going to be absolutely important, this whole idea of name. You hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith. That's going to be important, too. Let me go ahead and point this out, that Pergamum and Philadelphia, these two letters, are the only letters that speak of not denying the name of Jesus Christ or not denying the faith, but also are promised a new name in the, at the end of the letter. Okay? That's going to be very important. These things matter. So it says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne room is, yet you hold fast to my name and you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So he says here that you dwell where Satan's throne is, but not only that, but he's there. He's not out anywhere else, but he's there dwelling among you. And he's going to draw this hardcore dividing line, and he's going to say, "Those you have some of you who hold fast to my name. You have this name written on you all the way through the book of Revelation in many other uh, places in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Believers are said to have uh, received this new name. They have a name written on them. In Revelation, it talks about the name written across the forehead in chapter 14. It's this, it's this identity marker 
See, we just talked about the identity of those who are in Jesus Christ. You are no longer of the world. You know, that's why in the Old Testament, all of the people, many of the people receive these new names. It's a marking point. That's why, now, there's, there's uh, discussion around this, and I won't lay this down as hardcore truth, but I really believe that Jacob, when he wrestled with God, actually, when he wrestled with God, he was Israel. When he wrestled with God at, um, at Penal, and he received a new name right there. I believe that was the point of his transformation or his salvation. I believe that that was a turning point in his life. Now, God knew him before the foundations of the world. But at that point, I think his life was flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute to just sit right down. <laughs> well, I didn't, you know, that was just, woo. Okay, so, but that was the turning point in his life, right? And, and, it, and from that point on, he was different. He was carved out. He was, he was a man of God. I think we saw that this morning, brother. You're a man of God. You're a man of God. You are a man of God. You are men of God if you have the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ living inside of you. Stop going back to you. Say, oh, I just have this sin, Pastor. No, you don't. It's over there. Stop going over there. Go over here to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've said many times that the only way to fight against and defeat sin is not to war against sin, but turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what is repentance? By definition, it is turning away from one thing and going to another. You can't overcome sin by walking towards sin to fight it. You fight sin by turning to Christ and walking away from it. This is what, this is what the Lord does in your life. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You see, the crazy thing is, I'm not even telling you to fight. I'm telling you to love. I'm telling you to seek. I'm telling you to pursue. I'm telling you to enter into the one who's already fought and won. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Hmm. So, he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. You do not... Uh, you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, there's not a lot of information about Antipas. This is really one of the only references to him. But we understand through this is that they remained faithful, even though apparently Antipas was killed, maybe even right in front of him, but either way, was killed because of his faith. He was a martyr. He was a faithful witness. And, and we understand that Jesus Christ is also referred to as the faithful witness. So this was one of the highest honors that could, bestow, that could be bestowed on a person to, for Jesus Christ to write of him, the, he is a faithful witness like me. That he stood the test of time like me. Go back to the letter to Smyrna. We understand that these are written to all the churches, right? Well, what does it say in Smyrna? Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. We made a distinction there last week. And we said it is those who last until the end. Those who persevere even unto death that get the crown of life. But those who turn aside and those who go astray and those who deny the Lord Jesus Christ cannot say, well, I prayed that prayer. If you think praying a prayer is cool, how about casting out demons? If you think praying a prayer is awesome, how about feeding the sick? And visiting those in prison. How about doing these powerful signs? Which those were put on display and told of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, yeah, but I didn't know you. 
I didn't know you. We weren't intimate together. You didn't love me. So you think you're married, but you stay out till 5 a.m. every night with another woman? And your wife's supposed to believe that your marriage means anything or that you love her? Or has it all been a lie? Anyway, Antipas was a faithful witness even unto death. And he's commending them because they have seen this and they've not turned aside and denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's going to be a distinction brought out here that I need for you to see. Because many of you are here. You're not, you wouldn't, I don't think many of you would deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, like, if, like if it came down to it, you know, I believe that you would stick in there. But, but that's not what he's fussing at them about. That's not his problem. Watch what his problem is. Check this out. This is going to hit me and you right in the mouth. So get ready. Okay, put your cup on. All right. He says, but I have a few things against you. I have a few things against you. What do you have against me, Lord? You've said that I've not denied the faith. I've not denied your name. I've not, I've not, I've not, I've not contradicted your name. I, I still say, oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat the food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual morality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Here's the deal. You see, they're in this place, and they have many there who have not denied the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they have others who, they remain in that vein. They don't deny Christ, but they have accepted the teachings of Balaam and the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Do you remember what I taught you about who Balaam was and what he did with Balak and, and by uh, by parallel, the Nicolaitans too. Well, if you remember, Balaam was a prophet that Balak, who was the king of a certain region, came to Balaam and he said, look, I need for you because I understand that your prophecies come true. I understand that when you speak, you're a man of God. You uh, have authority to speak in these realms and things happen. And, and when you say it, it comes true, which was the test of a prophet in the Old Testament. If what he said come true, then we knew that he was of God and that he was endowed with power by God. Now, Balak came and he offered Balaam money in order for Balaam to curse the people of God, Israel. Well, Balaam, you saw that he desired to do that, but he couldn't. Because God wouldn't let him. God held him true to the word of God. And every time, because even the fact that he entertained uh, uh, pronouncing this curse on the people of God. See, when Balak came, he didn't say, I'm not doing that. You idiot, get out of here. He said, let me go see what God says about it. But God had already, you say, well, that's good. He's seeking the Lord. God had already told him. That's like the word of God says uh, that you shouldn't kill. Okay, But somebody comes and asks you to take somebody out. And you're like, let me see what the Lord says about that. Well, it's, it's, it's clear. It's, 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 it's clear. It's crystal. It, 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 there's no reason to ask. So this shows the intention of his heart. Well, several times, Balaam comes and says, look, I'll double it. I'll triple it. I'll give you anything. I'll fill up your, I'll fill up your, uh, uh, your house with gold and silver. And, and Balaam's wanting that. I mean, Balaam's wanting that money. The same issue. He's wanting that money. But every time he goes to open his mouth to do it, blah, it's just blessings fall out on Israel. 
God puts it in his mouth. He can't speak, in, he can't speak anything but what God puts in his mouth and blessings, blah, blessings, blah. Well, the, the story ends there, and if you don't read any further, you think, man, Balaam, man, he, he preached the word. He was faithful, but we understand what happened. We find out in Numbers and some other places and here in Revelation, we find out since Balaam could not pronounce a curse on the people of God, he did it in a secondary way. He come in the back door, and he's, he actually told Balak how to lead the He said, basically, and this is my uh, paraphrase. Basically, Balak asked Balaam to curse Israel, and he ended up, he couldn't. He said, look, I can't. When I opened up my mouth to pronounce a curse, God won't let me. Blessing comes out. And Balak got ticked off. So Balaam found another way around it. In my words, to, to, for time, he said, okay, but I can't pronounce a, a curse, but here's what you do. These men are stupid. So what you do is you put some really fine women in front of them. And they're hungry, too. So you cook you up a big, nice, plump pork chop. And you put it right up under their nose. And what will happen, see, is if you have these women groping all over them, and you have this, this good-looking meat sitting right there, they're going to sin. They're going to go. And that's exactly what happened. He taught Balak how to make the children stumble. And Balak took his advice, and 25,000 people killed because of what happened. What happened? Revelation tells us it's the same thing that's happening here, potentially, and in the other churches around, and what was happening in Pergamum. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So what we understand here that the letter is teaching is that some who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to uh, lead the sons of Israel, the people of God, to eat food sacrificed to idols and to, uh, uh, to partake of or enter into sexual immorality and sexual relationships with temple prostitutes and all these other types of things he says so you've got some here doing the same thing only now it's under the name of the Nicolaitans and that they are doing the same thing now different commentators and different uh, uh, understandings understand this as sexual morality in the form of uh, spiritual adultery some understand it in actual literal physical uh, sexual morality I tend to think that it's probably both because in this day, when you have the uh, temple to Augustus that was built there for the first time ever, you have the throne of Zeus, the throne of all these other gods, many who were gods of fertility, and, and, and temple prostitution was a very, very prominent thing. And if you did not accept and even uh, enter into these same relationships, that you would be cut off. You would experience uh, uh, financial uh, uh, struggle, and, and you would experience a social uh, a disconnect because you would not be able to be part of the trade guilds. You would not be able to, to do um, trading in the streets and in the marketplace. You, you, the, the, the price of your food, we've talked about many times, would go through the roof. You would, you would suffer. You would suffer because you did not enter into these things. Well, apparently, 
many here did enter into these things. Now, let me show you something here. Because we live in a culture, and I want everybody's uh, all eyes on me. All right, listen. All eyes on him. All eyes on the word. I want you to be all ears right now. We live in a culture that says you can never judge anybody. We live in this age of tolerance that says we have to be accepting of everyone, which is only a, uh, a, a, a muddy way to say compromise. Now, I am not telling you to actually buy a gun and shoot unbelievers. Not saying that, okay? But I'm telling you that in order to truly not deny the faith and not deny Christ, you will by necessity have to deny other faiths. And you will have to deny other gods. And this is not tolerant. You see it. I am telling you that you must judge those around you. You ain't never going to believe what my pastor said at church today. He's teaching us to judge. I'm not telling you to judge harshly. I'm not telling I'm telling you to rightly divide the word of God. I'm telling you to remove the plank from your own eye so that you can see to remove the speck from your brother. And why do we do this? It's not out of condemnation because you need to look like me. It's out of love that you don't need to compromise because I love you. If I see a sin in your life, if I see you running towards the street, the loving thing to me, for me to do is to say, run on, brother, it's your choice. <laughs> stupid, stupid man. I see my child running to the road, I'm going to tackle that little joker, and I'm a lot bigger. He is going to feel the pain. But he will live. He will live. You say, what has this got to do with this? Why is the sword being brought to the church at Pergamum? Is it because they are denying Jesus? No. They're staying true. Then what is the, what is the threat? What is the sword for? So you also have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans among you. What is he saying to do to avoid the sword? Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He's saying this. If you don't war with them now for the truth, I will war with them later and they will lose. If you do not draw the dividing line and look them in the eye and say, you are wrong and Jesus is right. You set them up for judgment. And that's not loving at all. You see, I must preach the truth. I must. Lest I be guilty of this is why Paul said, I have not failed to preach and proclaim the whole counsel of God. Therefore, I am, I am free of your blood. Not, I've laid it all out. And Jesus here to the church of Pergamum, he's saying, you better lay it all out so that there's no mistaking, no mistaking what the truth is 
and you either get with it or you get gone. This is, this is a hard teaching in our day. When Canada literally just passed a law that says bestiality is legal, but that those who deny transgenderism can serve two years in prison. You discriminate against the transgender two years in prison, but you can get down with your dog. Sodom and Gomorrah got nothing on them. You think this is a joke? This is, this is for real. This is real. And if you don't think it's coming here, you crazy. But remember what I said. The worse the culture gets, the more distinguishable the Christians get. It's a dividing line. And you're going to have all the time. You're going to have people all the time who are calling you to compromise. That's why we have to even bring out the distinction, Brother Steve, of people who say, hey, my name's Brandon and I'm an alcoholic. Well, then you're not a Christian. That's, that's, that's rather hard, Brandon. No, it's not. I'm telling you, then, then this I will go here till the day that I die, that Jesus Christ when he sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen. You may have some sin trying to hang out and abide in your members, but they've got to go too. And as we are conformed to the image of the Son of God, they will go too. You see, this is all distinctives. This is the evidence of regeneration. That's why I, I'm not improperly judging when I look at someone who's supposedly been a Christian for 50 years and they're the exact same way. I don't have to be God to say, no, you're not. If it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, you got a duck. That's pretty simple. Okay. So here they are being, being called to repent of their non-judgmental attitude. <laughs> <laughs> come on, if that ain't funny, I mean, I mean, come on. Everybody's like, you need to repent, you judging. Well, I'm telling you, you need to repent, you ain't judging. <laughs> Am I making it up or is it right here? So he says, you need to repent, you're not judging well enough. Yeah, yeah, you sticking to the truth, but you're not leading other people to know exactly what the truth is so that they're not caught up in a bunch of lies. They've bought into the lie, and you're allowing them to do it. Repent of that and show them the error of their ways. He who has an ear, uh, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We've talked about how that came out of Isaiah chapter 6 and how it, 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 is a, it is a distinctive in and of itself. When he says this, he is saying that some of you will hear it, some of you won't. That there are people who have been carved out from the, from the beginning of time. They've been given ears to hear. Others won't. This is the giving of the Holy Spirit that we might be able to contemplate and understand who Jesus Christ is. That we might call upon the Lord to be saved. 
So here, right here, he is even drawing a greater line to say that my people will stay true. Even when they fall, they will be convicted and they will get up and they will run the race with conviction all the way to the end. They will fight the good fight and they, while they will be bruised, battered, and beaten, they will stand before me and they will know that I am king and they will experience life forevermore. That's exactly what the gospel teaches. So in that, let me speak to those of you who are in sin right now. And when I say sin, I don't mean you said a cuss word yesterday. Let me speak to those of you who are in habitual sin right now. You must understand what you're doing. You must understand that you are doing the work of the enemy. And if you continue to do the work of the enemy, it only means that you have not received the blessing of the king. And if you continue to do that, there no longer remains a sacrifice for you, for you have overlooked and pushed aside the one and only sacrifice that was made for you by which you could enter into everlasting life. So there is only two things for you to do. Repent and turn from your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ or be separated from him from all of eternity. I don't care what you said one time. The here and the now is our, the abiding promise of everlasting life, I believe, is given to all those who truly come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the present tense assurance is only applicable or able to be applied to those who are presently living and believing in Jesus right now. John 3.16 actually should read literally like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever is right now continually present tense believing in Jesus Christ would never perish. It is not a past tense, but it is a present tense active indicative verb. Whoever is continually believing right now. Do I believe in perseverance of the saints? I absolutely do. Do I believe that you can use that to continue to sin? I absolutely don't. And if you think you can, you need to go back to the beginning to see if you ever knew him. Now, for the closing remarks here, I'm, I made it through. Listen to this. This is beautiful. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Now, this is so jam-packed full, I'll just kind of touch, okay? But we can talk more if you want to talk after something. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him the white stone. Oh, that's good. With a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is so good. I'll make as many connections as I can and you enjoy them. Go get a commentary if you want more. They're good. Okay. To the one who conquers. Now, who is the one who conquers? Come on. The, the most famous verse in all of sports. 
We are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? So he who conquers is the one who has believed in and received the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he says this one who conquers, who makes it to the end, who who fights the good fight and who, who lays it all out for the Lord and he never denies the faith, but he dies at the hands of the enemy saying, forgive them, they know not what they do, right? He who conquers. Now, what, what, what does he get? I will give some of the hidden manna. What does manna make you think of? Huh? Bread. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, what account? Moses in the wilderness. I wish I had another hour. This would be so fun. But so, did somebody say go another hour? <laughs> Moses in the wilderness. Do you remember they were, they were whining? We, we should have stayed in Egypt. At least we had food to eat. And God's like, okay, I got you. I got you. So manna came out of heaven, and it was all over the place. They could pick up enough to eat, but not for the next day because they needed to keep continually trusting God. And Well, they got sick of the manna, right? And they, they sinned because of the, the, the provision of God, which is just crazy. But, but it even led them into sin. And there's this whole big uh, sermon that I'm going to do one day that, that I've just uh, I've been learning and teaching. I, I listened to a sermon the other day where it teaches how Jesus Christ is true Israel who went into Egypt, went through the water, went into the wilderness, did the right thing with the bread, out of the wilderness, went up on a mountain, received a word from God, came down off the mountain, and, and it's just it's beautiful. Jesus Christ is true Israel. But, but we see here uh, Israel in the Old Testament, which was a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ and all he would be, came through the wilderness and they got this manna but they didn't appreciate the manna and so they sinned against God and they they shook their fist at God and then he gave them so much uh meat uh, that it that it came out their mouth and all the crevices and so he's like here you want meat you need this meat you know that's the way I look at God doing that he's like you should eat it then you know you ain't never featured God like that <laughs> well, well now you have um, so we see Jesus says though to him who conquers to him who is faithful to walk through this wilderness I will give him some of the hidden manna, which if you know your Old Testament, you know that they took some of the manna and they placed it where? In the ark. They placed this this manna into the ark, which consecrated it for God, and it represented God himself in the presence of God. Because that's where the presence of God was, in the ark of the covenant, right? Well, then we see Jesus Christ come in John chapter 6, who says what? He says, I am the bread of life. I am the fountain of living water. You see, what Jesus Christ is saying is that the manna was always about me. The manna was always about you being filled up full and not needing anything because I am the bread of life. And he who eats from me, as John chapter 6 says, will never hunger again. You see, this is all about Jesus. We don't deny the name of Jesus Christ, but we're willing to starve to death. You see the connection? It says, if you you maintain my name, you will not eat. Why? Because the world will hate you, and you won't be able to afford it. You will literally starve to death because of my name. But when you die hungry, you will be filled when you come into my presence. And all those who are filled here will be hungry there. They don't get the manna. This is Jesus. I know you're thinking, Brandon, you don't understand my trial. Brandon, you don't understand what I'm going through. I don't, maybe. Probably not. 
I don't need to. Because Jesus Christ, though he was tempted in every way, never sinned. He knows. He knows what it's like to lay down hungry. He knows what it's like not to even have a place to lay his head. He knows what it's like to be cut off from the land of the living. He says, I will give you some of the hidden manna. You see, this manna is not for everybody. There are many who think that they are going to to, to eat of this hidden manna, but, but they're not. They're not even going to want it. You know why? Because it's like my kids who eat all kinds of Oreos and Doritos and Fritos and every other O's. And then when they sit down to the good chicken or steak at the dinner table, they don't even want it. Because they're full of junk. Brothers and sisters, you fill up on this junk here in this world, you ain't, you ain't going to want Jesus. Everybody thinks that, that Christ casts people into hell who don't want to go. No. No. For the grace of God has appeared to all men. But they said, we don't want you. We don't want you. You make us sick. For the light has come into the world and the darkness hated the light. But those of you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you shall have your fill. And I will give him a white stone. The white stone, this is, it's really could be a multitude of things. They say it's multi-perspectival, big word, multi-per-something. Multi-perspectival, meaning you can look at it a bunch of different ways. But a couple of the ways that I thought was the most applicable was that in in these days, in order to in order to do business uh, or in order to get into certain areas of the city, in order to enter into the games uh, at the arenas, in order to um, be a part of the culture. You would, you would uh, go into a temple or you would give uh, some uh, emperor um, his uh, due of worship or acknowledgement. Um, you would, you would uh, not deny him. And for that service, you would get a, a white stone. And on that stone would be uh, your name so that you could then present that stone and get into these games or these different things. Another thing that this uh, could absolutely uh, mean is that the high priest in the Old Testament had these two stones on the shoulders of their, uh, their, their uh, vest that would be, had the names of the tribes on them so that when they went before the Lord, they could present the tribes to the Lord and be one with him. Uh, another thing that this could possibly mean is that the white stone is this representative uh, purity stone that uh, one would receive in order to acknowledge that he had been washed clean. But here's, here's, here's where I, I think it falls best. Is that when we come to know Christ, we are promised a few things. We are promised uh, that we would receive newness of life. We are promised that we would receive purity or holiness. That we would receive justification from all of our sins. 
we are promised that we would uh, gain entry to the kingdom of heaven through the name above all names, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Revelation chapter 19, it says that, that on him is written a name that no one knows but him. So the question here and the question brought about by the, by the commentators, and I think rightfully so, is that is this name that is given to the believers, is this name a different name than is written on Jesus Christ? Because it says that name is not known. Well, as I read and as the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart, it changed the way that I understood the Scriptures. Maybe many of you say, well, Brandon's got it all under control. He understands the Bible. He's just got it licked. As I was reading this, I understood differently what was being taught through this white stone and through Revelation 19 and a couple other passages in Revelation 14 and a few other places. Let me read Revelation 19 because this is where we'll end. Revelation chapter 19. Lord, tie this together because you understand it's a new concept to me and I just want my brothers and sisters to see what you've shown me test this one listen to what he says Revelation 19 11. then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems stones and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. Turn over to Revelation chapter 14. This is said of the 144,000, which is figurative of the believers who have come to know Jesus Christ. He says this, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth one more place Revelation chapter 2 I'm sorry chapter 3 now this is said of all believers starting in verse 12 Watch the promise to the church in Philadelphia. Remember I told you that Pergamum and Philadelphia were the only two churches that said that they did not deny the name of Jesus Christ. Pergamum was promised to receive a name on the stone, a new name. Listen to what Philadelphia has promised to all that would hear. Listen to this. We're going to make a connection in a second. This is the fun part of reading the scriptures. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Now, let's end back in chapter 2. 
where we've been. And we'll tie it all together. Listen to what he says. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Do you see the parallel in language? Do you see what he is doing here? It took me a minute. Test it like the Bereans. When he says that this name, no, in Revelation 19, when he says that he has a name written on him that no one knows but him, he does not mean that people do not have cognizant awareness of what that name says. What he is speaking of is the way that Adam knew Eve. No one knows this name. No one has this name. No one is sourced by this name. No one else knows me except the ones who are of me. When he says in Revelation 19, he says he has a name written on him that no one knows but him. He means that the only source of this type of power and this type of reality and this type of newness is from Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. That's why the ones in Revelation chapter 14 are said to have this new name. And they're singing a new song that no one else gets to know. No one else gets to know except them. They're carved out by Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 3, it says that they have this name, this new name, the name of God, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven in 21. It's the bride of Christ that has the new name that's made up of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And he says in chapter 2, he says, I'm giving you a new name written on a white stone, and no one knows it except you. Do you think he doesn't know it? Of course he does, because it originates from him. He is the source. He is the life. And people out there, they don't get to, they don't get to have this, not unless they come to him. Jesus Christ is the name above names. He is the only name given under heaven by which man can be saved. He is the King of kings. And what he is promising is, let's stand to our feet. What he is promising is this. If you will stand firm in him, if you will not deny the faith, even when it comes to those around you trying to convince you that their way is the right way, if it contradicts the scriptures, then you are to stand for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, no. Out of love, I'm telling you that that's not the truth. And you will be persecuted. You will be denied access to the, the good things in life. You will be denied food that is good to eat. You will be denied access to all of the best health care and, 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 and all of the best entertainment and, and all of the best this and all of the best that. You'll be denied. You won't have the stone of this world to present as a ticket to get in. You will be denied. And if you're not being denied based on this letter, we need to ask, are we compromising? I got to ask it. But he's saying if you remain faithful, that Christ is always faithful to fill you as full as you could possibly be in that time. And even now, with the bread that comes down from heaven, he told the disciples in John chapter 6 when he came back, they said, they said something about going to get some food. He says, I've already ate. They said, did somebody 
did somebody bring you food when we didn't see? He says, I have food that you know not of to do the will of my Father. You see, you'll get the white stone, brother, with a new name. And nobody knows that name. This whole world's going to look at you and that name written across you. And they're going to say, this is stupid. I don't even know what that is. Nobody else knows it. Nobody else knows it except the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows it. See, I know. I know. I know you want to be known by everybody around you. You want your name to be known. You want people to know and respect you. You want them to know your name. And what I'm telling you is, is that you need the name which nobody knows. That true victory doesn't lie in everybody knowing and fearing and respecting your name. That true victory lies in on this earth being a nameless, faceless lover of Jesus Christ who has poured himself out unto death not looking for anything in return. He who is last will be first, and he who is first will be last. Amen. As we pray and as we seek the Lord, take today as an opportunity. Here's what I want to say. I've never done this before, but the Lord just pressed this on my heart. I have no authority except what is granted to me by the Father. And I'm speaking to me right now. I know Jesus says that, but, I, but I'm saying the same thing. I have no authority except what's granted to me by Christ and, and, and the Father. But I do know that the Scriptures tell me and teach me that I am an ambassador of Christ. So I want to tell you today, and, and I feel as if the Lord, the Holy Spirit's leading me to tell you this. Test. There are many of you in this room who you identify as a sinner. You think that you have this massive sin in your life and you cannot escape it. That's what you think. You may be right. You may not belong to Jesus Christ. That's between you and God. For those of you who are in that place and you can't get freedom because you don't have freedom, then I offer to you the gospel. He who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. And he who is set free, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Okay? I offer you salvation today. I offer you salvation today as an ambassador of Christ who is salvation. Okay? That's number one. Number two. If you know you're a believer, you know you've been born again, and you, you've walked with Christ, but you've lost your way, and you've got this massive sin that's weighing on you and, 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 and overshadowing you, if you're standing in the shadow of evil and, and, and you know Jesus, but you don't know how to get out of it, I want to tell you today, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, I can tell you through the power of the Word of God that you are forgiven. That's not, I don't have the power to forgive. But Christ does, and he says that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I'm telling you right now, believers in here, if you are a believer, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you've got this sin weighing on you, if you've got this thing overshadowing you, if you've got this massive weight on you that you feel as if you just can't get out from under, I want to offer to you as a brother in Christ, can I have some of my brothers that, that know and love Jesus come down here? Well, I'm going to have y'all pray with these people. Come on. Robert, Mark, come on. Come down here. 
Come on. Pray. If, you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've got freedom right now, I want you to come and, and pray for some people. But I want you who are believers now, if you've got something, you need help, and you need somebody to pray for you, and you need to be reminded, I want, I want to invite you to come down here and be reminded of the forgiveness that you've received in Jesus Christ. Come down here, and we'll lay hands on you, and we'll pray for you. And the laying on of hands is nothing more than an acknowledgement that the Lord Jesus Christ works in and through his creation in order to show and proclaim and display that sin is forgiven. It is forgiven. So if you are struggling like that, would you please come? Yeah, the lights are on. That's all right. We, we do it that way here. Ain't no shame in this game. Anybody else? All y'all got it together? Man, we need each other. We need prayer. Amen. Is there anybody in the room that just needs salvation? You've looked over your life and you've examined your heart and you say, man, I... I tell you, I prayed that prayer one time, but I just, I ain't been able to stand Jesus all my life. Anybody in here that, that needs to be saved today, needs to give their life to Christ? Anybody? Well, those of you out there, I'm going to assume that you are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. I praise God for you. If you would, as a, as a sign of your acknowledgement and, and your willingness to walk with these who are struggling would you just stretch a hand out a little bit there and let's just pray just as a sign that you walking with us we're going to pray right here together okay lord jesus christ we just come before you right now and we ask that you would help help us god because satan you know he's good he he parades around as an angel of light and he's got many fooled right now many of my brothers me at times god he's got them fooled and so right now, I pray with all power and all might in the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would set them free or help them to know that, that since the Son has set them free, they are free indeed. They are no longer under obligation to the flesh, but they are under obligation to the Spirit. I pray, God, that they would be compelled by your love, that they would be controlled by your love, and that they would go out into this world and that they would proclaim the glories of Christ Jesus no matter what it cost them. I pray that we would be a peculiar people, that we would be an odd people, a countercultural people that is not afraid to be different. We pray that we would acknowledge Christ, but not just acknowledge him, but in all of our ways, walk in him that our paths might be made straight. We know that you will relinquish all of these, all of these strongholds, all of these chains, all of these sins that so easily entangle. Allow us to set our eyes on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Ah, that's what we want to be, Lord. We want to endure the cross for the joy that is set before us, despising its shame. We know that you've done it. We acknowledge it, and we choose now to live in it, choosing no longer to identify ourselves as sinners, but as saints being sanctified by the power of the Holy Ghost. We pray all this in Christ's name, looking for the fruit. Amen. Amen. In this spirit right here, amen. In this spirit right here, I just want us to flow into this last worship song. I want us to flow.
into praise and adoration of the king. There's still a place here. If you are hesitant, but you want to come down and have somebody lay hands and pray on you, then you come on down. Let's turn these lights down and let's worship a little bit. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
of God. 